Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello folks, it's David here and it's International Week, which means unfortunately there's not an awful lot of stuff to talk about, but we don't want to leave you without a show, certainly not in these desperately non-real football times. So what we've done is gone to our Patreon site to take one of the many wonderful shows you can get there and hopefully you'll enjoy it and subscribe. Yes, it's Naked Marketing, but I think you will enjoy this one if you're not a subscriber already. If you are, I'm sure you've listened to it. It's Adam Thornton's Wonderful Tactics Talk Show. Adam likes to look into to the games in a lot more detail and look at it through a very, very tactical filter. Yes, he's a spod. And he was joined this week to discuss Rangers' recent match and uh, their tactics over the course of the season so far by none other than the Dutch destroyer himself. Yes, Mr Scott Van Den Acker. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, why not think about signing up? It's just $1.99 per month and you get a whole lot of amazing content. Adams is just one of the literally dozens of shows that go out there every week and go to patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash heart and hand and you can sign up there and if you miss Scott, well he's there too on the David and Scott show yep and basically if you remember the old pod, it's like that except with no football, it's just me and him flirting essentially. That's in a three ninety nine tier and it comes out weekly as well. So enjoy the show and I will talk to you again soon. Till then, bye. Good evening, I'm Adam Thornton and you're listening to Tactics Talk. On the show we try to take a deeper look at Rangers' performances, we try and break down each game from a tactical viewpoint and try to understand the mechanics of why we played the way we did in specific matches. Joining me this evening and making his Tactics Talk debut is Heart and Hand Pod Royalty, the Dutch destroyer Mr Scott Van Den Acker. Evening Adam and thanks for having me on. No worries, I've been um, looking to get you on for a while so I'm delighted that the stars finally aligned. Um, Scott, first time on Tactics Talk as I said there, let's let's just talk high level as I, I do with, with all the, the kind of new guests. Um, 
in general terms, how do you think things have went over over the the start of the season? Um, from from I guess a general Gerard and the new team perspective. To we'll get into the details of the tactics a little bit later on. It's it's, it's clear that we've gone up a a notch, but I can't tell whether that's because we've brought in better players. I mean, over the two windows, we've spent X million net, and I think you're bound to get better, except if you're Pedro Coutinho. Um, So so we've brought in some better players, and we have got a bit better. Whether it's a quantum leap, I'm less sure than perhaps some of, I'm sure your guests and some of the guys in some of the other pods, and listeners who listen across the range of output, will know that we range from wrist-slitting depression to upbeat. Uh, glass half full and um, I think so far in general if you saw the stat there's a stat just I read before I came on and we're doing okay apparently for the first uh, number of games it's the same as last season and a bit ahead of uh, the first season up under Warburton and it's behind where we were under Walter obviously in his three seasons before we got the shit hit the fan so it's actually been a, an average start to the season, except with more goals than usual. So clearly something's working up front. Um, the obvious problems are breaking down tough defences who don't want to come out to play. And we're touching that in the Spartak game. I think we're going to look perhaps at, yep. at a few things there. Um, we have probably struggled for a settled team as well. And I'm still not sure whether we know that our starting eleven or whether the manager does. European football's been a success and again I'm going to touch on that under Spartak but I think we get more room and more space and it's certain players benefit and that's been an 8 out of 10 domestically maybe 7 and away from home or with tighter packed defences maybe a 6 and as I say I still also I'm going to talk to you later about this about is it simply having some better players in that we spent money on or are the tactics and the coaching making that big a difference um, so I'd say as I say, a mixed bag so far, Adam. Yeah, I would, I would agree. To be honest, I think um, we're we're quite aligned on this. I think there's been a noticeable increase in in player quality, um, but for me, there's still quite a few situations that we kind of play the same way that we did last year, um, just with a with a better quality. We're fast, we get the ball wide, and we we get it in the box, and we can finish quite well. But we look like we're lacking a little bit. Um, Towards the back of the pitch, so I would agree with that. I think that's a that's a fair summation. Um, we we spoke about that lack of creativity then. So just before we we jump on to the Spartak and Motherwell games, um, Gerard has come out in the press um, at the weekend there and said he's looking to bring in a number ten type player. Now, I think that's something that we've been speaking about since the summer that we we thought was lacking. Um, that will probably help us, I think, in that middle to front breaking down teams, won't it? I think you saw yesterday now, I know that Liverpool have high hopes for Ajaria, and I can see why. He's very tidy in the ball, he's hard to get off the ball, but I'm still not sure. Yesterday he had a lot of space against Motherwell, I thought he had a lot of the ball, but I'm, I'm still not convinced he is a natural number 10. And I think you can see what Gerard was trying to do by putting him in there, but um, I still think we might need somebody else distinctly who plays that role, who's born to play the role who can uh, link with uh, Alfredo, but also link out wider with the two wingers, cut inside, be the, the third man running. Yeah, I think we did okay to play to, to link the attacks together. And I thought Ajaria did okay yesterday, but we'll, we'll touch on this, but I thought it was a mixed bag, him as the 
sort of sort of number ten attacking midfielder. I thought possession was tidy, but again, he's not a player who always plays the, the killer through ball forward. But um, I, it was interesting to see that Gerard started with that, and it, it sort of tried almost to develop the Jarry into one. I wonder if that's something we'll see again, especially the next two home games in the league. I wonder if we'll see Jarry playing further forward again. Yeah, it's an interesting one, as you say. There's been an obvious an obvious shift in. And certainly this game and in Thursdays as well, but probably less apparent given how much of a clusterfuck it was. But um, there's been a, a shift where we've got a, a holding, de facto holding midfielder and two, for want of a better description, two number eights pushed pretty far up. Um, I, I agree with you on Najaria. I think he is neat and tidy. He wins the ball back very, very well for someone who you would probably class as a, a luxury player. Um, and he gets the ball forward on occasion well. I think the whole decision-making and, and learning how to influence the game and pick killer passes is something he doesn't quite have consistently yet, but in saying that, I don't think he's played, what, 40, 50 actual appearances in his career yet, so I guess that's something that will that will come. Um, OK, let's jump right into the, the action then, Scott. So as, as we mentioned, they were going to cover the Spartak game on Thursday, which we lost 4-3, and... We'll then come on to yesterday's um, surprising, I would say, 7-1 win against Motherwell. So, Spartak, as we mentioned there, we had Koulibaly um, anchoring the midfield with Arfield and Najaria in front of him. Kendias, Middleton and Morelos up top and Tav, Goldson, Katic and Flanagan as the back four. Now, Scott, you, you sent me this um, really interesting heat map from... Uh, from the, the Spartak game um, it, it's, it's very interesting actually I'll, I'll, it's from the, the Gers report on Twitter I think it originated from um, Scott the big thing here that you wanted to pick out was I think the, the distribution from, from the back Yeah um, I think what's interested me um, and I thought about this yesterday um, is Conor Goldson is there's talk about him not going through his best of form and um what was interesting this was the number of balls, sort of, if you like, Hollywood passes that he still makes that all go out of play. The heat map clearly showed that his distribution out to the right-hand side was univer- uniformly bad. And whereas Katic, interestingly, on his side, made contact with far more players when he was playing out of defence. Um, I also thought Katic was OK against Spartak. We'll come on to him against Motherwell, but I thought he did OK. But his passing was much more accurate as he sort of rolled it out of defence. Now, what was interesting is Goldson was trying much longer passes and they all invariably ended up going out for a throw-in. I wonder if maybe he should maybe think about keeping it simple. When you're trying to play back into form, I wonder if maybe the Hollywood pass is, is the best idea. Um, also, a lot of our passes, as we guessed, were sort of neat and tidy sideways passes. But um, obviously, the flip side of that is we scored a heck of a lot of goals. But yeah, it's not defensive. It was interesting that the, the longer the pass we played out the back, it, the less accurate it was. They tended to be very wayward. The big thing I picked up from, from that heat map was, first of all, that there was no successful passes into the, the penalty area, which is a bit ridiculous. Um, but away from home, you, you're not going to get as many chances as you would get at home. But it's, it's still not great. We, we had a bit of play that we never managed to quite link in with. Now, obviously that... Morelos' goal that was that was onside would have counted as one of those passes, so it's, it's maybe skewing it like um, maybe skewing it lightly. However, there's a whole big gap in the middle of of the in between the centre circle and the eighteen yard box, which I would have expect a number ten to 
to sit in. Um, it, it looks like we just missed out that area. Now, it's obviously not an uh, exact science in that sense, but it's quite interesting. There's a whole area there which we should be affecting centrally that we're not quite managing to get to. Um, the Goldson point's a good one. We've been speaking about that on, on the pods over the last couple of weeks. We started off at the start of the season, I can remember the St Mirren game, praising his, his long passes, um, and we were discussing how it was it was a good feature to almost bypass the midfield and get the ball out to, to Kent on, on the, the left wing even. But it's all went a little bit strange, and it, it, it has been since this kind of poorer run started after the last international break. Scott, I, I, I think it's... A number of things. I think it's his, his defensive partner changing beside him. It's, it's the midfield changing all the time in front of him. We haven't had maybe Ryan Jack there who, who comes deep and picks up the ball. So he's maybe got into the habit of, of just launching it too much. And, and you're right, it's it's not going very well. And, and you would think, personally, and, and you're, you're the same, if you're shit out of form, you just want to play the simple pass. Most of them are doing it, but for Goldson, he seems to just be trying to force it a little bit. Yeah, I think what was interesting, a few other features I noted about the game, especially knowing I was coming on a high-level, high-brow chat show like this, um, was, first of all, I wonder if Morelos is timing his runs and setting up his game to play with some crosses rather than... I'm not just going to blame Ajaria, and that heat map showing the last passes, I wonder, maybe Fredo's not making those runs from deep into the box. He does tend to lay out wide, and then come in for the cross, and I wonder if there's a lack of targets for the player with the ball. Maybe Fredo isn't making those runs. The other thing I noticed was that the player that stood out for me was Candias, because, and I think I tweeted you almost straight, straight during the game, is see Candias with nobody kicking him up and down, and away from the SPL environment, you could totally see if you like, the whole point, the whole package of our Daniel Candias, the time he had the ball, the ability to bring it down, and he just doesn't get that most weeks. But he was the one especially who, Spartak's unique lack of, of defending, pressing, or clearing the ball, he was the main beneficiary, and it was really interesting to watch Candias when he had acres of space. That technical upbringing in Portugal, the touch, and he is one who slightly suffers at times domestically from... Somebody comes up and hammers him two seconds after he gets the ball. But I thought his performance was tremendous. But it was also notable that there was nobody anywhere near him at the time. I don't know if you what you thought about that, Adam. Yeah, I mean you're absolutely right. The the most the finish was was a surprise anyway because he's he's not noted as being being a fantastic finisher. But but having him in that that area, it's it's not a run he makes. He doesn't make that run across the across the defence. He's, he's more of a traditional winger winger who will, will stay out on there and will just hammer crosses into the box and, and your he, he's his assist for Morelos' onside offside goal was exactly what he does but it was interesting to see him do that um and it was almost like the way that Gresda was playing um on Sunday against Motherwell just a little bit more of a kind of inside forward type thing so it was interesting and I think you're right I think in another league um he would um, benefit a lot more, but I, I like him too. I'm a fan. I, I I don't mind the whole oh he, he crosses three hundred times in a game and and he only sets up one goal. I'm just quite happy he's setting up one goal. To be honest, it's, it's better than than not trying. And your point about Morelos, I think, just to go back a little bit there, is is really valid as well. He, he is probably quite used to getting the ball 
having no runners from midfield last season and, and bits of this season and laying that out to Kandias is that's literally the only place he could go for 18 months or so. So he's probably still in that habit um, and it's, it's interesting to see him. And we've seen him yesterday changing that with, with the interplay with Arfield and with Gresda and with um, Middleton as well coming in. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, one other thing I think just to, to finish off the, the Spartak chat quickly is again... John Flanagan, um, they targeted him against, uh, in, in the home leg, he got targeted in Ufa, uh, I, I believe it was, and he, he's been targeted in the game, I think it might have been St Mirren or maybe the Hamilton game, um, just there as well, and it was the same again on Thursday night, and you see the, the pass map, it, it, it looks like he's been targeted in the number, is it the number seven Popov for Spartak Moscow? He looked a really, really tidy player. Um, I'd be interested to know if he plays right wing or if they deliberately put him over there to kind of try and combat um, Flanagan, but it, he didn't have a good time at all, did he, Scott? He was at fault for a couple of the goals. Um, I don't like full-backs on the wrong side anyway. Um, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's a sensible approach. I also don't think Flanagan's got the pace to recover from errors. Um, I also don't think he's good enough to defend. I think the theory is he's so good at the back compared to other fullbacks that it's worth having him in. I'm not so sure. A couple of times against Spartak, he was left in his arse, turned inside out. I'm not sure he's such a good defender that he makes up. But it's experience thing as well. Try to play a one-two. Here's the thing, Adam. There's a few players in the team that I wouldn't mind maybe a push doing a one-two at the edge of our own box. John Flanagan isn't on that category. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know what's the best he could have hoped for. Supposing the pass had come off and he managed to get the ball to somebody at the edge of our own 18 yard box, they would then have been uh, they would then have been closed down. He should have cleared his lines first, especially away from home. And I don't see what the best out option. I mean, had it all come together, I don't see what playing a one-two in the edge of your box while getting pressed would really have done. I can't see that as a way to clear the ball anyway. And I just think he's too slow and. To, and not quite good enough defensively to be considered like the hard man at one side and Tav on the other. I don't think Flanagan is good enough and nails his marker enough to justify the lack of any input to attacking play either. Well, that's the point. That if you were to see Flanagan or, or Halliday, the, the kind of rank, of rank and file would say, oh, Flanagan's a better defender and this and that, but he's not, really. Um, he had a bit of a, a spell... Um, August September time, maybe August time, where he, where he did okay. He had a couple of games. I thought he was he was pretty good, and I, I said so on here. Um, Halliday doesn't fill me with any less dread uh, defensively. Um, he's been fine. He's not really been turned inside out that much. He came in and uh, Maribor, I think it was, and did did very very well. And he offers a little bit more attacking. He's never going to hit the byline and and ping crosses in the way that. Barisic does or, or ping them in from deep but he offers a bit more linking up the play that kind of almost inverted wing back way where he'll come in and he'll, he'll join the midfield I think Scott to, to round off that chat about Flanagan the, the point of what I was hoping from Flanagan would be some sort of Sasa Papach type thing um, where he would come and it would be someone who, who lets Tav go and play so when and not to do another, this is the second point in a week I've done a Celtic comparison, but the way that Tierney gets forward and Lustig tucks in for them and it almost becomes three three at the back when Celtic are, are in possession, something like that was what I was hoping from Flanagan, but at this stage, 
you're third in line to Andy Halliday, I think you need to um, buck up your ideas a little bit. Yeah, I think when you're Andy Halliday's understudy, you probably have to take a look around. Um, yeah. We, I think we talked about this in the summer. I certainly talked about it with David, but there's an argument about coaches at Rangers not having enough time. But you look at Pep Guardiola, without getting into all, he does that. He has he has a different formation depending on his fullbacks. And when his fullbacks go forward, they do go to three at the back with a forward sweeper who just drops back to play between the two. And with the amount of ball, this is maybe for another show, but the amount of ball we have at home at times, I'm not sure that four at the back is always the best way to go. I don't think, I think you should be changing your shape when you're a game and you 60-70% of the, the ball. I think bringing a player up from the back is not necessarily the worst idea I've heard. And it's something that uh, Advocat used to do. And I, I think something seriously to consider is what do you do in tabs up the pitch? And what shape do we adopt when we are trying to pen a team in and play a high line? And I'm not so sure that just having two centre-halves and a left-back standing there with nothing at right-back it is just like the traditional shape maintained, kept without tab. I agree with you. I don't think. But do we have time? That, my other argument is do we have time to work on it? We keep getting told that Gerard's worried about the 30 games so far, burnout. And the, the, I mean, the counter argument is do they have time to implement some of the things that we're going to talk about tonight? That that would maybe be the sort of uh, devil's advocate there. Yeah. Is, you know, I think I... trying to do a pet. I, I think we don't have obviously don't have time to, to revolutionise um, the entire team and, and whatever it is for four months now pretty much since our, our first game four months to the day I think since since Scoopy at home um, or or one of the friendlies actually I think it was but I think you're right I think it's it's quite simple in the, the way that we, we we train we should be able to train a back three and a back four um, regardless of what's playing in front of us I don't see that being an issue. Um, I wouldn't mind having. Um, I've spoken about this before, but potentially a back three with with Ryan Jack as the sweeper kind of. I feel like who can who can step out and bring the ball. But what you've got is you've got say Barisic and Tav starting ten yards further up on the wings as a kind of three five two. Um, I wouldn't mind something like that. I, I get your point, and I, I'm in complete agreement. We we don't need. In 90% of the, the domestic games, we don't need to be playing a defensive left-back along with Jack and Koulibaly in midfield or, or even one of them, really. I, I think if we're going to go for it, we play a, a 4-1-4-1 or a 3-5-2 and we have Tav and Barisic on the, the wide place, places and Ryan Jack sitting, almost forming that Fernandinho that we're talking about for Man City. Um, I think... One of those options and being able to flex it game by game is is something that we that we should look to do and and we've got the international break coming up. I'll be hoping that he's working on the shape. We know that Michael Beale's in there. We've seen I've personally seen quite a bit in the Hearts and Rapid games and, and the Maribor game at home of, of of the wing play that he likes to to do. I've not seen a huge amount from him defensively in terms of setting it up. I think defensively just now it's it's, it's better players. At the moment, it doesn't look like um, we have a huge amount of, of ingenuity in there. And we've seen the back three at Motherwell, Scott, which the less said about that, the better. Um, I didn't think that worked at all. And maybe he's a little bit scared to, to try it again. I think I think so. But I mean, not everyone can energy. I mean, I remember a few seasons ago, as you will yourself, Dortmund and Barcelona for a while played this thing when, when they were trying to pen a team in. They would go to two four four. Yep. 
and the two defenders would play in front of each other rather than beside each other and one would commit to everything throw himself at the ball another one would sweep up behind with the fullbacks watching but, the, but then they'd pop, go straight back into the opposition half and I know all these things are like you know how, how would you ever manage that but there are ways I think to keep pressure on a team and pin them in and as you say the 4-2-3-1 is overkill and has been overkill in a lot of games because we've got a lot of the ball and as you see huge gaps where number 10 should be or where creative players should be and I think that's the first thing that we should they be looking at and I'm fairly sure they will be the coaches they realise that some of these games will be didn't play so well with maybe too many players behind the ball yeah absolutely uh, I completely agree OK, um, that's uh, enough about Spartak then. Let's go and have a chat about yesterday's uh, 7-1 against Motherwell. Um, quite a few changes to the team. We had McGregor in goals. We had Halliday, Tav, Worrell and Katic as the defence. Um, Ejaria, Arfield and Ryan Jack in midfield. And then Eros Gresda, Glenn Middleton and Alfredo Morelos up top. Um, this one was, was more of a 4-1-4-1, as I've said, Scott... Um, compared to, to Thursday and compared to the kind of 4-3-3 three, three that we've been playing. What was your take on, on Gresda and Middleton? Um, I, I personally thought it was very interesting that it offered something a bit more different. Kent and Candace are maybe more traditional in that you've got one flair player and one old-fashioned winger, but Middleton is, is also an old-fashioned winger, but, but Gresda I thought was, was interesting. I'm interested to get your thoughts on what you think of his performance yesterday. I think there's two things after yesterday interesting about the wingers, Adam. Number one is it's very important not to simply give the ball to Ryan Kent. Right? Ryan Kent's played more games already this season than I believe he, he's ever played. I think that's right, isn't it? Yeah, um, I think, I think he's won. Own spells. Yeah. yeah. And he is young. And laterally, I felt we were just giving the ball to him. That, that was it. That was the, the only tactic. It was nice to see him not playing... And us overcoming it. So that's the first thing. Because you cannot have this, just give the ball to X or Y. The second thing, and we talked about it before we come on air, I'd like to talk about it tonight. And obviously it's the kind of thing that would be good if people got in touch about. I like my wingers to tuck in when the other wingers are attacking to make a second striker. I like them not just to hug the touchline. So when Middlesbrough's attacking, Grayster should be... And he does. They both did. They both get an eye for goal. They both have, I think, let more shots off. Kent likes to create, and Candace, as you re- referenced earlier, is extremely shot shy. He's very much not in favour of taking a shot. But I think these two yesterday were different. They are more direct. They join up the play more. Grace done particularly in the second half. He actually likes to be involved in the triangles. He, he seems to have a good technique, where he's not just a pace merchant. He actually was giving and receiving and running off into space. He was different. It might sound ridiculous, but he was very, very rarely offside, if, if you know what I mean. Then yeah. that, which the skill, he, he timed his runs very, very well. And he very rarely hit the first man with a lazy, just a lot of, a lot of wingers knock it round. And when they get round, they don't even look up. He did seem to be trying to make contact with uh, a blue jersey every time he had the ball wide. And as he even scored a header. So yeah, what I thought was interesting yesterday is those two appear to have more of a goal for it than Kent and Candace. And they do tuck in what I like to see. Like, they supported Morelos when the other ones were doing the attacking. And both of them drifted in to support uh, 
age area and uh, our field and a sort of midfield playing around the edge of the box ones and twos and gives and goes so I was actually impressed with the use of them and how they both did because they're both young lads very, and they're both inexperienced and um, I, I thought I was very impressed with how they handled the game and how they inter- inter- the interplay between them and the rest of the players went Yeah I think the, the fluidity for me was, was, one, was one key thing I noticed um very early doors, I sit in the main stand just to the left of the director's box and um, got into the game and, and I was looking forward to seeing Middleton obviously right in front of me on that touchline and I did have a little bit of a worry because he was up against Chris Cadden um, who is not a, not a terrific player but he's, he's certainly in the top couple of right-backs um, in, in Scotland for me so I was a little bit worried that um, Middleton wouldn't really be able to get the better of him. However, within the first 15 minutes, I think Middleton and Gresda had swapped sides twice over um, and they were just obviously looking at ways that they can test out the, the wing-back. I think it's Richard Tate on the left-hand side as well, who's, who's no slouch. And, and they were just looking at ways that they could figure things out a little bit more. I think Kent and Kandias can be um, a little bit one-paced or a little bit, like you said, Kent will, will be the creative player. He'll drift about. He doesn't really really create that much um, even though the creative burden has been on him but he's not really a a guy who's going to get 15 assists or whatever like Candace did last year Um, I like the fluidity of it I thought Morelos enjoyed it Morelos usually drifts out to the the right hand side we didn't see as much of that um, yesterday for me we we still seen it a bit um, but he Gresdub coming in there and, and doing that interchange with him um, from the left or the right will be quite interesting and you can see that Gresda could quite easily play up there on his own we could see Gresda Kent and Middleton at, at some points this year if Morelos isn't there which which could be interesting and could give us that team that we're not really playing with a focal point which which again could help us when we're breaking down uh, tougher teams Interesting, um, obviously Scott, you know I like the, the whole stats side of it, but quite interesting that how, how Europe is skewing quite a lot of things and, and, and even the stats, um, you wouldn't quite realise it, but Gresda and Middleton now have two goals and one assist in the league, um, so does Daniel Candace, um, which I find quite strange, I know he's not a goal threat, but he's only got one assist so far um, in the league, which... It's almost went unnoticed a little bit. I know he offers a lot more, but yet last last year it was literally an assist every two games, near enough, and he's dropped off quite a lot. Um, it might be the European exertions as well, Scott, but but certainly on the face of it, Middleton and Gresda have played a couple of games between them, and Candias is in double figures, and they've got the same output so far, which is, is quite telling. Yeah, I think, as, as I mentioned against Spartak, Candias thrived in that kind of no-tackling uh, environment, I think he's finding it going a bit tougher domestically this season for whatever reason. Um, uh, and he's never been the goal threat, of course, that those two are. Um, and I think it's given the manager a headache, but obviously in a good way, because even I like Kent, I like Ryan Kent, but as you say, that this is odd, but it sounded more. It seemed more intelligent yesterday. The, the way the players were used. They were using their game intelligence, they were probing the fullbacks, they were swapping sides, they were popping up in the middle to help uh, Alfredo in the middle, they were laying balls off to Arfield who was running in, they didn't just stand and hug the touchline, and I felt it actually gave uh, Motherwell far more to worry about, because although it's daft, when you're facing a winger obviously it's not ideal as a fullback, uh, but it's also easy in a way because you know where he is, 
Um, I felt yesterday they were harder to pick up, and um, I, I thought it worked really, really well. I'm not saying they're going to replace Kent and Candias, but it's a nice problem to have, and it offers something different. I think we obviously probably, just, just to round off this, but I guess we really need to caveat the fact that Motherwell got a doing, and they were down to 10 men, so they were, for the most part, playing with less pressure. But um, I don't think Candias could, could play that flexible way that we're talking about um, regardless, so it's, it's interesting to give us those options. Um, moving into the, the middle of the park then on, on Sunday, um, it's the area that I'm most critical of. Um, I think you potentially will be the same. We don't have enough creativity in there. Um, I like Scott Arfield. I don't see him as a. I don't see him as a as a number ten. Um, I don't see him as that at all. I think he's more of a a number eight, a box to box player, and and he's shown he had a quiet month or so there with an injury and and basically been shout out for him as as was a couple. But that's him now up at I think five or six goals um, for the season, which is which is decent. Um, he for me. Uh, there's not an issue there for me. I, I like him. I like we seen that he was getting forward a lot more. It seemed yesterday, Scott. But having watched it back again today, it just seems like they're picking him with passes a bit more. Um, Tav was playing with his head up again. Probably that lack of pressure and not worried about what's happening behind him. There wasn't much threat from Motherwell. Arfield has been making those runs. Um, I watched some clips back again today as well. He's been making those runs in a lot of games, and we've just not really been able to find them. Um, I, I think he he would be key. I know we're, we're talking about potentially players that we can look to bring in there, but for me, out of any of the midfielders we've got just now, I would probably still keep him in the team. Yeah, I thought Arfield. The first, his goal was superb. Um, I'll add the caveat, of course, let's just go down that road. Motherwell collapsed after the red card. Rather than digging in or regrouping, they were shit. And we have to add that in, in any sort of discussion of the game. But, but of course, I think yesterday we happened to have the right tactical self and personnel to take advantage of the red card. Um, I think what I mean by that is, I think we started just with one holding midfielder and two more advanced. And I don't know whether it's on purpose, I don't know whether it's a tactic, but I think Koulibaly and Ryan Jack get in each other's way a lot, especially now that Koulibaly, he's not fully fit after his injury. He's been playing within himself, so rather than bounding forward box to box, he's been hanging back and they're sort of standing next to each other. You don't need that. And the two further forward, I think, worked really well. Um, Egeria, it was okay. As we talked about earlier, he was trying to make those little killer passes everywhere, but it was Arfield who was actually more, contributed more. And I think having the two wingers coming in to join, Arfield and Morelos, swapping sides, etc., Arfield runs. I just think with the right setup, the right personnel to damage Motherwell, I think we're less ponderous, we've less men behind the ball, and we've more points of attack. And I think Motherwell, I think the game was up before the penalty. I think we'd, we'd, we'd played pretty well. But, yeah, I think you can only beat what's in front of you. And thought we were very professional in our response, and a lot of that was down to the, the front four. And Arfield was a huge part of that. But Ryan Jack on his own, without being encumbered by having someone standing next to him, I thought was also a massive improvement. Yeah, so the four one four one thing it made a huge difference for me. You do not need two holders at home at Ibrox. He did very well. Um, again, I, I've said on here, I, I don't even think we need one holder in these type of games. But but given the compliment that we've got in midfield, I would I would play Jack in, in um, 
these type of games. I like Koulibaly's aggression, etc. But like you said, he's been pretty out of form since he's since his injury. Jack did well. He recycles it. He keeps things going. He turns it over. He even managed to get up and get an assist for our few seconds. So that was quite good. I can kind of see Scott based on again the the, the front three we, we spoke about and we spoke about that midfield. Ideally, you want a, a sitter and you want two runners. If one of them's a a number 10, great. If it's maybe more the Liverpool model of two number 8s who can get up, maybe Arfield and, and another, with a goal-scoring threat, like a, a Lampard type, obviously that would be fantastic. You've then got Middleton and Gresda cutting in on your set, cutting in, and then you can see where Tav and Barisic come into it a little bit. Um, Tav will continue to hammer up and down that wing, and Barisic would do the same. That's gives you a real amount of options. Um, it, it keeps you quite solid in central defence, with Ryan Jack sitting there. You've got five attackers essentially, and then you've also got two attacking fullbacks as well. It's just all about kind of, and this is what Dortmund do very well. It's about pressing from the front, and once you're pressed from the front, it's about creating those overloads on the right, the left, and right hand side. Something we've seen with Barcelona as well back ten years ago or so. They could get Alba and Dani Alves running up those wings, and and the amount of space they get to break down teams is really crucial. And I think, I hope that's what we're going to aim for. I just think we've had a bit of poor luck with injuries and confidence and, and inconsistencies in the team. I, I could see that being something. I think yesterday we've seen a little step towards that. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that we'll, we'll see eventually also slight like, like transitions. I think these guys, especially Tab and Barisic, are going to have to get back. And Ryan Jack's going to have to obviously close the space between him and the rest of the midfielders. But that'll come. Because obviously there'll be one shape for attacking, but when we lose the ball... Especially against the better teams in the SPL, maybe Celtic, Aberdeen, we're going to have to close the spaces up much faster. But I'm absolutely certain they'll work on that. And like you, I would sacrifice. I would go to maybe a three at the back with Ryan Jack um, when we haven't got the ball. Let just don't fill in behind the fullbacks initially, and have your midfield. So you're almost got a three-four-three. Three. Yep. Um, and I, I would be a bit, have a bit more, keep a few more risks like that. And I think you can see where it's going. Um, the only thing you have to sometimes avoid is what happened to Barcelona sometimes, just at the end, as they were, that first period, the first wonderful period, was, was tailing off. The fullbacks were so wide that the wingers were getting pushed behind them, and there was simply no more width. There were so many people out wide, and Chelsea especially a couple of times exploited that, and there was not enough coming to the middle. The game was actually, Barcelona were almost stranded out in the wings. So obviously you have to be aware of these things, but yes, I think we're looking at the flying fullbacks. One midfielder dropping back to join the two, sort of Fernandinho thing, and advanced number 10, uh, who's joining in with the attack, actually at the edge of the box, playing the one twos, running beyond, and actually looking to get the end of things. And I'm sure Gerard knows that, and Michael Bealy know that as well as we do. Um, and yesterday was the first glimpse of the rotation, players moving, dragging defenders away, spacing behind. It was a bit less static than we've been with the 4 2, sort of, uh, if you like, 3 1. Um, and I think it's probably closer to what might work in this league as well. I think it's also a closer step to what might be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just a little bit, Scott, at the end here about uh, some stats. I know you, you, it's not some, your eyes can glaze over at this bit. It's absolutely fine, but the, the listeners uh, quite enjoy it. So um, We attempted a lot more crosses against Motherwell. Um, we, we hit 27 with a 44% accuracy, which is it sounds bad, but it's actually really, really good um, in statistical terms. Our average is 32%. Um, just for reference, against Spartak, we attempted nine crosses and completed one for a pretty horrible 11% success rate. 
Um, passes per move against Motherwell. Um, we, we attempted, we averaged eight passes per move whilst in possession, uh, compared to just over two against Spartak. Um, and interestingly, Scott, something we were speaking about there, I guess, is 16% of our passes were categorised as long passes against Spartak, but only 4% were categorised against Motherwell. So those in isolation don't mean too much, but I think when we think about those two games and, and how we played, we can see that they were pretty much the exact opposite in terms of the approach that we've seen. So um, that's something that's, that uh, I, I find quite interesting. Okay, um yeah, especially as, sorry to say, we scored a lot of goals in both, but it's a different approach. I think at Spartak, we did keep it tighter and rely on pace, and also we relied on the fact that Spartak didn't seem to be able to defend. Whereas against Motherwell, we dealt with a team that was sitting in, or at least, well, trying to. And what was interesting is they both worked in their own way. I mean, I know we lost to Spartak, but we scored three, had one wrongly ruled out, and I hit the woodwork twice. Yeah. So, it, it worked in its own way as well. <clears throat> and that's very interesting is, we're the first thing that you and I have talked about a lot to each other is tactical flexibility and finding more and more ways to skin a cat. And I think that those stats do actually tell you a little bit about how we approach both games. Yeah, absolutely. OK, um, we're almost finished, but obviously Scott being Scott has decided to bring his own feature to the table. So over to you, Scott. Um, you can introduce us to the Dutch lens cap. Thank you, yes, the Dutch cap... <clears throat> um, I thought this might be the start of a feature, but I've got a pretty, pretty strong suspicion that when all the proper people come back on the show who couldn't make it tonight, it'll be dispensed with straight away. <laughs> but what this is, my football watching weekend, I noticed a few bits and pieces, and I thought Adam and I would briefly talk about how it might relate to Rangers, and what Stephen Gerrard and the team, especially Michael Beale, might try and do. And uh, Adam didn't rule out straight away, or use an emoji, so I assumed I'd go with it, okay? So, um, firstly... Boca vs River, the, the big game of the weekend. Uh, and what happened, this one, Adam, which I thought was interesting was River changed the formation for the game to 3 5 2 and completely flummoxed Boca Juniors, who didn't know who they were picking up. They didn't expect this formation, and clearly they hadn't had it on their tactics board. They lost a big field battle as a result, it took them, and they should have lost the game heavily. And I wondered, sometimes we, we talked about as, as a group, or I've talked about in different shows, springing surprises, using tactical variations against a team who you're pretty sure won't have done the homework on. And what do you think? Do you think it's too big a risk? Do you think, think uh, Gardo was off his head? Or, or what do you think of that, changing your setup in such a big game to the extent that the other team, they didn't know who they were picking up? Um, what do you think of that tactical flexibility as a surprise weapon? I love that. Um, no, I'm I'm all for that. I want us to have a game plan like like as you said earlier on. Pep Guardiola has a different game plan for for every game. It might look like to all intents and purposes he's roughly playing the same team, but he will have players sitting five meters to the left of where they used to play, or sitting here because this player once scored a goal from from this angle. Um, I'm absolutely all for that. I think um, especially in a league like ours where we need to dominate the play. To be able to come out um, and a, you think a team or a team thinks they know how you're going to play and just to completely flip it like that with no disrespect, well, with loads of disrespect actually, eight, 80% of the teams in this league will not have a fucking clue what to do and it will spend them, they would spend 20 minutes trying to figure out what the fuck they're meant to be doing with us and hopefully by that time we'd be a couple of goals up. So no, I'm all for it. Um, I think it's brave, I think it's, it's crazy, it's quite unorthodox, but yeah, definitely. 
Okay, Monaco versus PSG. Yep. Um, now, can I start with a caveat that you need better players in any league anywhere? Okay, right. You do need better players. I know Monaco have been raped by the transfer system, but still, what they decided under Kerry Henry, they don't press. It was quite obvious the plan is to keep the, their plan is to keep players upfield and rely on their defence in the old-fashioned way to stop attacks, and then they'd have targets to aim at, and they wouldn't get dragged back and sucked into their own half. But these days, it just doesn't work. The PSPG defence stepped up to higher line and dragged all the attackers back with them and caused masses of confusion. And then when, when Monaco did get the ball long to the attackers and the game was stretched, it left the midfield completely bereft of bodies. And uh, Rabio and uh, Draxler simply picked their passes when nobody knew them. So it's interesting to try and avoid the press and to try and avoid you know, all these modern tactics. Thierry only sort of went back to, to basics with attackers. Like, Still we are. And then we'll win the ball back and get it to you. These days, I don't think that can work. Do you think there's any way at all to avoid the tracking back game? Do you think that return to the old days of leaving the players upfield has got any place anymore? Nah, no chance. Um, I, that's a tactical innovation that I don't, I'll be surprised if there's, there's ever a. I know things go round in, in cycles. We're seeing three at the back coming back that we, would, we thought was dead. I'm sure we'll see more 4 4 2 coming. Um, back again I'd be very surprised if coaches tell players to, to work less and, and keep the ball up the park um, or keep the players up the park like that I know that PSG sometimes do that with the, the three of them up the top as well but no and to be honest I'm not taking any uh, tactical um, tactical viewpoints from Monaco given the state of their season so far and, and I think they're going to look for a new manager Soon. So you put your ring, hat in the ring there, Adam. Could do, you know. yeah. Um, maybe if you listen to these the tactics talk pods, you never know. You never know. Uh, Man, Man City v United, okay? Um, and recently we're all introduced to the world of uh, Pivot and Trivot and all those things, right? Now, Man United tried yesterday in the absence of Pogba to play a Trivot, okay? And what was exposed ruthlessly about the way... He used to, who's he used to do things, and the things that were innovations once, is that a true bot, if you like, three holders, is completely useless unless they're fast and mobile. The players are too big and slow. They didn't join the press either, due to the pace and mobility, right? And uh, you can watch this again, I was watching on the, the match of the day thing, and the strikers basically pressed on their own. Man City then lobbed the ball over them, then dropped up, to a massive acres of space where the midfielders got the ball, and they basically passed round these three big giants in midfield who were meant to harass and, ha- and bully Man City. But then they were very isolated. They just sort of stood there like traffic cones. And uh, I think the two points I'm making here are for our pressing game, when we start developing that more, you cannot press in isolation or just ask the strikers to do it. You're better genuinely not doing it. It's a complete... There's nothing behind you. You turn around and the rest of the team aren't pressing. And secondly, holding midfielders, I think Chelsea started Makaleli. You've got to be careful these days because the pace the ball moves at and the pace a lot of the young players, they can end up standing there with a step. I don't know, what did you think about uh, the, that sort of situation with United? They rugged hackers, if you like, and they just well, they flew by them, Man City just flew by them. Yeah, no, I, I agree with what you said. It, yeah, it needs to be a concerted effort. You either need to all press or, or you, you beat 
pretty much sit with 10 men behind the ball. What they, they tried to do yesterday, Man City just broke them apart. Basically, they, they literally suffocated them by, by having those three sitting quite deep and, and then Martial and, and Lingard uh, up top with, with Rashford. I thought that um, if they were going to do that, you would want to have Martial and Lingard a lot more withdrawn, maybe even centrally withdrawn, um, just to try and cut off the passing channels for Silva and Silva um, and Fernandinho, but it, no, it didn't work at all. Um, he's done that a few times this year, hasn't he? He's had, I think he's had Scott McTominay in there as well in place of Herrera, which is probably even yeah. even less mobile. Um, it's an interesting one. I think we could get a full pod out of the different ways that Jose Mourinho has, has set up teams and, and the, the change in them, um, certainly in his last seven or eight years compared to his first seven or eight years, but but no, that one didn't work for me at all. And finally, uh, Dortmund v Bayern. Um, and just something I noticed, because we're talking earlier about our wingers, and wide play requires so much stamina now, right? And I was watching Sancho and uh, Larson yep. for Dortmund especially. Um, they ran all day, they helped the fullback, but they, but they both got stronger as the game went on. And I'm wondering, is it a young man's game? What's interesting now, people get Sterling, if you look about Europe, these wide players, they are young, they're very fit, and they tend not to be veterans anymore. Obviously, Frank Ruby's the exception, but you have to help your fullback, cover for him, join the attack, act as third man running. I mean, we look at the age of some of these guys now about Europe, and the, and the likes of Pep like to use in Klopp is the, sort of that wide attacker is it basically a young man's game now is it all about stamina is it about do you need to have the youth on your side I think it probably is but you know it's quite an interesting thing because you look at you look at Sancho um, who's what, he's still 17 isn't he um, you, you look at yeah. someone or he's 18 someone like that um, and, and Larson on the other side who's just barely barely 20 I think and and you compare that to what we've got at the moment. We've got Ryan Kent at twenty two, and we're still not saying he's the. I think he might even be twenty three now, and he's. We're still not saying he's the finished article. We've got um, Middleton there as well, who's obviously just turned eighteen, but is pretty much at the same level as as Sancho in terms of experience. And we're saying, oh, they're only young. You need to give them a chance. Obviously, Dortmund have all the money in the world to go and buy, or, or a lot of money to go and buy the the cream of the crop. But I think you're right. I think we're kind of moving away from that whole. Wingers get to their their peak at twenty five, twenty six. It's kind of it's becoming earlier and earlier, and and I think we see with maybe Rashford as well and Martial that to a lesser extent they can't really see them getting considerably better than they are just now. Um, I, I think it is a young man's game. I think as well to to widen that Dortmund Bayern point, um, you could bring that back to back to the Rangers Celtic thing. Um, in terms of finance and, and team that, that they have over the last couple of years, and Dortmund certainly showed how to how to play Bayern. Um, they could have their heads could have dropped in that game several times, and they just kept plugging away and kept playing their game, coming back into it, getting the ball wide, having um, Vigo in the middle controlling things, and I, I thought that was an excellent performance. Again, they showed as well Marco Royce up front, no focal point. Um, against the Bayern defence is, is a bold move but they showed you play your game you believe in it um, you have fast wide creative players you get overloads you, you press you, you take your man 
they they showed the way forward for me. I think I, I really like the way that Dortmund are playing now. They, obviously, they had that great team five or six years ago, um, and they kind of got lost in the wilderness for a couple of years through to various Klopp leaving and, and Tuchel coming in, etc. But but I like the way they're going now, um, and I think if they can if they can keep that up, they'll, they'll definitely bring me a shout this year. Yeah, and I, my last point touches on that. It's about the sort of us v Celtic and closing that gap, which I suppose all our tactical shows are about in the end, is how to take things through to 55. And what was interesting was that they targeted Mats Hummels, and that we've all said that Celtic don't have the best centre. Centre of defence is their weakest area, but we never really go at them. They cut, their wingers feel like cut in, and they targeted Hummels ruthlessly, and they could get hold off. Um, uh, they just ran up constantly. He got booked and eventually got substituted. And I think it's about time that we didn't just leave it up to Alfredo to get battered from pillar to post. I would love to see a Graysdale or a Middleton or even Kent targeting one of them and running at them, constantly running at their defenders, trying to get them turned. Even if you get hit, you'll get past them once or twice. We need to unsettle them and drag them out of their shape. And that's what Bob Dortmund did brilliantly. They ran, hit the ball around these defenders and ran around them. Didn't always work. But eventually Bayern get really sloppy and torn out of shape. Um, and that's something Celtic have not been bothered enough by our forward movement in the games against them. And I think we have to start asking them questions. And I wonder if this is the way using the interchanging of the wingers and the pace and youth they have to try and target the, the centre of defenders and not just the fullback. I did the um, I did the time capsule with, with Martin earlier today and we covered the... Rangers 6th and Firmland 1 2003 game but in that we were kind of talking about the, the season before when McLeish came in and we were talking about how Celtic had the, the huge defenders and, and Sutton and, and Hartson and Larson up front and, and they played in a certain way and they, they bullied Rangers for 18 months or so um, before McLeish came in and then what McLeish did was he looked at what he had, he looked at what they had and said, well, I'm going to play in this different way. And and he did kind of what, what you're talking about there. He, he started playing without a focal point. He got fast players, technical players, and started chipping away at them. Now, obviously, Celtic are, are not a physical team now, per se, um, but neither are we. But I think it needs something like that, Scott. It needs a, a kind of stark reboot, almost, of, of the way that we play against Celtic. And you're right about the, the defence is a... It's a bugbear for me that we don't get enough players close enough to, to players like Boyata and, and Lustig. We we end up playing a, a 4-5-1 against them away and we had Windass on the left-hand side against Lustig at points last year, which is just never really going to do anything. We we have Morelos trying to occupy two centre-halves um, and we've got nothing coming from deep. I think we need to start taking them on and, and playing like we did yesterday and getting three, four, five men forward and really trying to hem them in ourselves because if we don't they'll just do it to us so I think we, we do need to do that um, and I think it's it makes the uh, the next game coming up quite interesting if we can really get a solid run before that it'll be interesting to see what happens That's me that's my that's uh, Scott's Dutch cap Fantastic thank you very much Okay just before we finish then we've got a huge run of games coming up um, after the break, Scott, we've got uh, Levy and Villarreal at home, Hearts away, Aberdeen at home, Dundee away and Rapid Vienna away as our next six. What is success for you in that? That's four domestic games and, and two games in the Europa. 12 points domestically, don't care in Europa. Be lovely, lovely to win the Villarreal game to get the atmosphere going. Imagine the stadium jumping again, but 12 points in the league yeah. is... 
And if we've got injuries or a player's got a niggle, don't play them in Europe. Keep them for the league. Just the 12 points out of 12 would be brilliant. Going to play the, the, the sons of Satan. It'd be wonderful to have a full squad to choose from. And I've seen a, an interesting thing um, today. I think it was the Hearts away game is when the League Cup final is. So if, if we're still neck and neck after the first round of fixtures... Um, we and we managed to beat Hearts away. We go top of the league, and and I think Celtic's um, not to spend too much time talking about them. But I think their rescheduled game isn't until the end of January, so we'd have that game in hand over them. Um, and going into the the game at Ibrox, if we're say a couple of points ahead at that point, and, and managed to win that game, that just starts to put a little bit of pressure on. Um, but I think we're probably getting a wee bit ahead of ourselves there after after. This game yesterday, we just need to keep trying to go. And I agree with you, 12 yep. points twelve points out of 12. And if we manage to get um, through against Villarreal and, and Rapid, I'll be absolutely delighted with that. Okay, folks. I'll tell you what happened. Tactics got undone by desperation, Adam. That's true. See if we can go. See if we can play Celtic, not needing desperately to beat them. That will also make a huge difference. Mike Tyson once said that everyone's got a game plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, no, that's, that's and, very true. We have been going into the Celtic games the last couple of seasons utterly desperate. And that makes anybody ragged. I think it was fascinating to see us face Celtic not needing to win and not rushing everything and actually being able to uh, put a game plan into operation. And I think that really works with tactics. I'm sure you've touched on that in the show before, but tactics are also allied to pace of the game and mindset and desperation. And it would be wonderful to play them with a slightly calm atmosphere about the fixture now that's a that's a very good point if we manage to get into that into that game with a position of it being almost like a free hit then it's quite interesting to see what we can do I think you're right on the the expectation and, and pressure thing um, and I think that's been clear over the last month or so we've tried to force things that haven't been going our way and that's when mistakes have crept in and we've got a little bit rash so yeah all looking ahead to the next couple of months and it's going to be a big couple of months Okay, folks, uh, thank you very much for listening. All that's left for me to do is to thank Scott for joining me. Cheers, Scott. That was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed that tonight. No worries. I'll be back after the international break, guys. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.